0: Mr. Mossman, the Nevada County Planning Commission is convening tomorrow at 9.30 a.m. for a special meeting where the public will be able to express their support for or voice their concerns about the reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine. Again, thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. People who oppose the reopening of the Idaho-Maryland mine say that, among other things, it'll create a lot of dust. And it is true that Grass Valley already suffers from poor air quality, What do you say to opponents who argue that mine operations will further erode air quality in our region?
1: Yeah, so the um, air quality study that's part of the draft environmental impact report and the sections of that report itself discuss um, air quality in detail. And so, um, for example, for dust, uh, there's a model done that estimates the dust generated from different activities and then uh, uses that model to model the health effects of that. And so the criteria, the threshold of significance is essentially um, a cancer risk of less than 10 in a million. And so that that threshold is set by the air, air quality district. Um, so there's scientific thresholds. There are scientific methods to um, estimate the amount of dust. And so the county has looked at that with their consultants and determined that it's less but significant. And so there's many uh, measures that are put in to ensure that um, issues such as dust aren't a concern. For example, um, all the crushing is done underground. Uh, The processing on, on surface is a wet process, which, of course, eliminates dust. And then there's a number of other measures um, needed, including uh, dust management plans. And so essentially, uh, the criteria requires that there is no visible dust allowed to cross the property boundaries. Um, Things like trucks that would leave a site that's unpaved have uh, a tire washing station so the tires actually wash so they can't track dust off the property. So there's many... um, measures put in, and that's studied in detail in the report, in the county's report.
0: Now, my understanding is that the mine is going to operate 24 hours a day, seven days a week for potentially up to 80 years. Is that correct?
1: Yes. So it's uh, 24 hours a day, so it operates continuously. And um, that would be the mining, the surface processing. There's some activities that are are limited in hours. Uh, For example, um, trucking. Is 16 hours a day. Some of the um, surface works, where you're placing and compacting engineered fill, would only take place um, daytime hours, Monday to Friday. So there's a few um, different activities that have different schedules, but in general, the operation would run continuously.
0: And what does that look like? Paint a picture for me. What would an average day for the proposed Idaho Maryland mine look like?
1: So there's um, two parts of the workforce. There's uh, 40 people that would work regular. Um, nine to five jobs or eight-hour days, or actually seven to three, Monday to Friday. And those are the, the staff and the technical positions. And then the bulk of the of the workforce works 12 hours per day and changes at 7 a.m. and 7 p.m. So so a typical day, you, you, know, you would drive into the site, uh, park your car, uh, walk into the office. Um, you would get your... Uh, Daily work assigned to you, and you would report to either you know your work uh, on service or to underground, and the, the you know so you work since you're working a twelve hour shift, you would work uh, either you know seven days on, seven days off, or four days on, four days off, depending on what management decides at the time.
0: And approximately how many people would be employed?
1: <clears throat> so it's three hundred and twelve estimated employees of the company. Um, uh, quite a few would be in, in the underground. Uh, quite a few would be on surface in the processing plant. And then there's uh, quite a few um, management and technical and administrative um, jobs uh, as well as many uh, trades people: electricians, um, heavy-duty mechanics, uh, millwrights.
0: And what would your estimate be as far as what percentage of those 312 would be hired from the local area?
1: So we've estimated um, what two-thirds would be from people that uh, already live in the area. And so half of that, half of the workforce um, would be recruited uh, and, and have training programs. And so there'd be extensive training so that people that don't have those skills already would, would be provided them especially for the underground mine, um, for the surface processing plant, for example, all of the uh, process plant operators would be trained. There is a component of uh, the workforce that requires existing skills. And so there are uh, quite a few people in the local area that have uh, experience um, with hard rock mining or have um, trades, Certificates already for electricians or heavy duty mechanics, and so that makes up the remainder um, of that estimate of local recruitment. And then, of course, some some people that uh, require extensive amount of experience you need a you know, component of of the workforce that has extensive experience or specialized um, skill sets that that may be recruited from outside the area. So, so this about two thirds um, existing. People that live here at present, and, and one third is assumed to be recruited from outside the area.
0: And returning to operations, you mentioned that crushing would happen underground. Did I understand that correctly?
1: <clears throat> yeah, so the rock is, um, uh, so you have drilling and blasting to start, you know, which, which you have tunneling underground in either barren rock or in mineralized material have to skip that to surface from the shaft and so you would crush that down to about six inch minus so that it can be hoisted to surface and so that crusher is underground and then once it's um, hoisted to surface it's placed in the existing concrete silo that you can see on the site and then transferred uh, to the process plant by a cover conveyor and then once it's transferred to the process plant, it goes into what they call a sag mill. it's, a, it's a, a sag mill is a wet um, process, a grinding mill. And so by using a, uh, that type of mill, you can reduce the rock from the six-inch minus size that's coming from underground to a sand size, so a fine sand. And that's with, with the gold and the sulfides, which are separated, and that's the uh, product that's sold. So by doing that, you eliminate having to have secondary and tertiary crushers on surface, which also eliminates the potential for those to generate dust uh, and noise.
0: That brings me to the next question. Is there an estimate of, of how much noise there's going to be? You know, when these mines operated long ago, they did create a lot of noise. What would a modern mine sound like? Is it still very, very noisy?
1: Uh no, it's actually very quiet, and so there's um, a lot of work that's being done on noise studies um, by the consultants and by the county's noise consultants and so they've actually done uh, like a model where they can model uh, the noise sources they can put in uh, the buildings with the insulation the in noise insulation that's proposed they take into account the topography um, the uh, vegetation and all the receptors around the site and so there's a detailed um, model which has the figures of noise contours that's uh, included in the draft environmental impact report Uh, and the noise levels are quite low and not only um, meet with the Nevada county uh, noise bylaws but also under CEQA they, they account for what is the ambient noise and what will be the change um, from the operation to the ambient noise? So it's very stringent. And so uh, immediately at uh, the nearest receptors at night, it has to be less than 50 decibels, um, but in general is lower than that according to the noise model. And so uh, very close to the property boundaries at nighttime, the projected uh, noise is what 35 decibels. And so that's equivalent to uh, whisper, uh, in the daytime, uh, because you have, you know, more uh, vehicles moving about the site, trucks and things like that, it's about 40 decibels. So that's, um, about the same as a quiet refrigerator or a library. So, um, extremely, uh, you know, uh, favorable, um, results from the design and the analysis by the county. And so um you may hear it if you're you know right uh near the site. Um but uh it would be you know, less than the ambient sound that's in the area. And if you're in any distance from the from the mine, like we would not hear it at all.
0: You mentioned that this final product would be sold. So it has to be trucked off site. How much truck traffic are we talking about?
1: So the product that's sold um doesn't generate a lot of truck traffic and so First, you remove um, the coarse gold. That's what I call the gravity separation. And So that product, um, you know, is more than a you know, basically a tin can of, of of coarse gold per day. And then the pyrite is removed by flotation. So you have those are the sulfide minerals. And so you take the the sulfide minerals out of the uh, ore, and you uh, filter press it. So it's a dry product. Load it into uh, tote bags. And that generates about 20 tonnes per day, so one flatbed truck concentrate per day. And so the majority of the trucking is the material that's left over. So that's the sand tailings that remain once you remove the gold and the pyrite. And so because the throughput of the mine is 1,000 tonnes per day of mineralized material, 500 tonnes of that will be placed back underground as a leaving 500 tonnes for surface. And then you have 500 tons of barren rock. So, so, barren rock that's not mineralized. And so, 500 tons of rock, 500 tons of sand is 1,000 tons per day. And with 20 ton trucks, that is 50 trucks um, per day. So, 50 trucks uh, you know, driving to where it's going to be placed and then, and then driving back. So, it's 50, uh, 50 trips, 50 truck trips, uh, one way truck trips. Um, per day over 16 hours. So that's about three trucks per hour.
0: And where will these tailings be placed? Are there plans in place for where they're going to go?
1: Yeah, so we have two sites. Um, One is called the Centennial Site, and that's the historic uh, location where the tailings were placed. It's on uh, Whispering uh, uh, whispering Pines, uh, where you go to Centennial Drive and Idaho-Maryland Road. And so there's uh, about four years to place material there. So it, we create uh, a level pad, creates over 30 acres of flat uh, usable land. And the reason why it's called engineered fill is because it's compacted and lifts, so that uh, so that it can be const- it can be um, constructed on when it's complete. And so those pads are designed to maximize the end usable area, so that it can have uh, other you know, other uses for other businesses once it's completed. So there's uh, four years at the Centennial site. On the Brunswick site itself, where the process plant uh, and all the activities are taking place, there's about six years of uh, material to be placed there. And then um, past that, it would be trucking northwards on Brunswick Road to Highway 4920, where it can be um, um, trucked to other projects that require uh, the use of that materials for, for various construction projects.
0: Mr. Mossman, climate change is on the minds of many people who live in this area. The DEIR, the Draft Environmental Impact Report, says that the mine would emit up to 9,000 metric tons of greenhouse gases every year. How does your company plan to mitigate that?
1: Uh, so there's two parts of the greenhouse gas analysis. One during construction, and then during operations. And so, um, Nevada County doesn't have uh, adopted threshold of significance, but uh, has looked at what other jurisdictions have used for thresholds of significance. And so, they've taken a, a conservative approach where they've looked at uh, different what different jurisdictions have used as a threshold of significance. And so, a threshold of significance for the construction is different than For operations. And so they found that uh, the construction greenhouse gas emissions with a lower threshold were um, significant before mitigation. And the mitigation for for the construction emissions is to buy uh, carbon credits to to mitigate it below the threshold. so, So there's some carbon credits that would have to be purchased for the construction to mitigate that impact. And then for the operations, The threshold um, of 10,000 tons per year. It falls below that threshold that the county has um, uh, adopted for the purpose of the EIR, and so those emissions are less than significant. If you consider um, this this mine uh, in relation to other gold mines, because its underground mine historically has had a higher concentration of gold, a higher grade, it's actually um, much less Carbon uh, emissions on a per ounce produced basis than uh, virtually all other gold mines, and then if you look on it uh, from a GDP basis, it's about half of an of the uh, emissions carbon emissions per million dollars GDP uh, versus the California average. So it's very favorable uh, in any comparison, and less than the threshold of significance. Um, for Nevada County, that Nevada County is adopted for the purpose of the EIR.
0: I hear a lot of people talking about their concerns to the impacts to our local watershed. The Idaho-Maryland mine would have to be dewatered, and a mind-bending amount of water will have to be pumped out. Where is that water going?
1: So the water that's um, in the mine, so there's water that uh, is in the mine right now in all the existing tunnels. That's about 1,000 acre feet. And then water flows into the mine continuously um, from the joints in the rock, so about 1,000 acre feet per year. And so that water would be pumped from the mine um, initially to dewater the mine and then to maintain it in a dewatered state, and that would be discharged to uh, what they call South Fork of Wolf Creek on our property. That creek flows down uh, towards the city of Grass Valley and eventually goes underground where it joins up with the main Wolf Creek. And then uh, south of the city uh, you know, flows back uh, to surface from their existing culverts. And so that's the, uh, that's the waterways that it's placed. That water is treated it's already um, the groundwater has um, has very low metals except for iron and manganese. That iron and manganese would be removed. Once you remove that, you have to comply with uh, what they call a limited threat discharge permit. And so the criteria for that uh, permit lays out all the different uh, thresholds for for metals in the water, um, temperature requirements to ensure that there is no um, impact to downstream users of that water. And so if you look at those uh, thresholds and limited threat permit for metal contents, they're actually less than, uh, either either equal to or less than uh, drinking water uh, standards. So very clean water. Um, If you look at the quantity, um, there's extensive uh, work being done uh, to show that It does not cause uh, sediment or erosion concerns with that creek. There is no um, biological impact to that creek. And then uh, the amount of water uh, is actually uh, not a lot of water considering the capacity of that creek. And so it's uh, at a maximum 2,500 gallons per minute, which is 5.6 cubic feet a second. Uh, That stream, if it was... uh, at a bankfull event during a storm, would go 80 cfs, and during some of these, you know, two 10-year storms, you'll easily have 100 cfs in, in that creek. So, so five cfs isn't uh, a flood state; it doesn't cause uh, erosion and and um, sedimentation problems, as as shown in the technical report and in the county's uh, independent EIR. And if you look at that in context of the amount of water that's used in the county uh there'd be something like two hundred thousand acre feet used in the county um, for various purposes and irrigation and so a thousand acre feet um, is less than a percent of that total water so it may sound like a wa- like a lot of water but in the context of the amount of water that's being used in the county it's not uh that's not actually a lot of water
0: staying with dewatering and potential consequences of dewatering how do you respond to people that claim that by dewatering the mine rise could potentially impact the surrounding drinking water wells
1: so this um obviously is an issue that's important and has been studied uh, in a lot of detail and a lot of thought being put into it and so uh, i guess there's two aspects to that first of all um when you dewater the mine because the water is flowing into the mine, you cannot impact the water quality of, of someone's well because essentially the mine is downstream of where their well is. So their well is drilled in the first 200 feet or so uh, of surface, and the mine is, um, runs from surface all the way down to at present 3,400 feet below surface. So, so it's downstream. The pumping of that water cannot affect the water quality in the, in their wells. And so that is uh, also incorporated into the county DIR. Um, so they, they can look at that. Uh, the other part is concerned how would the dewatering of the mine affect uh, the use of people's wells? And so uh, I think the most important thing to understand is that the wells that uh, domestic uh, groundwater wells draw their water from near surface, so the first few hundred feet, and the ground is more fractured and weathered near surface, as you get deeper, the jointing becomes um, less, the joints become tighter due to the weight of the earth above it. And so it becomes um, less permeable with depth. And so mining that depth in uh, impermeable uh, rock does not affect the, uh, the strata that uh, you know the different the near surface rock that people are drawing the water from so that that's an important thing to understand about it that it's hard rock um, there is an area above the mine uh, on east bennett where the the county has determined that um, using a safety factor of 100 percent up to seven wells could be affected and that doesn't mean that the wells are drained It just means the water column may be reduced, and so um, they use that uh, criteria. They determine that seven wells may be affected in the East Bennett area, and so we would install uh, an extension of the NID potable water line down East Bennett Road, and and not only um, hook up those seven properties, but all 30 properties that are along the, the East Bennett Road that would be fully uh, done and paid for by RISE before watering uh, commenced. And for those people that are um, that are hooked up to NID, if they choose to use NID water, uh, we would also pay their water bill for as long as they uh, own their home. So, so no cost. They have a reliable source of water. They could continue to use their uh, wells if they wish. Um, and so that was done from the very beginning and built uh, into the project to address that concern. Other areas that are further away from the mine, uh, there's been a lot of analysis done by uh, expert consultants. The county hired their own consulting firm called Westios who who reviewed the report. They uh, required some changes to the original reports and it was analyzed in the draft environmental impact report. And so they've shown that uh, there will not be uh, impacts outside of the East Bend area. In addition to that, um, finding uh, the county is requiring that a series of monitoring wells be placed throughout the area. And the purpose of those monitoring wells is that you have a, a year of baseline uh, data knowing uh, the elevation of the water table in those wells before dewatering commenced. And then once the dewatering of the mine commences, the measurements and the, and the water levels and the monitoring wells would be able to predict and detect uh, any differences from the, from the model prediction and well before uh, any issue uh, could happen or impact wells uh, outside of that area. And so, so it's designed as a, as a kind of secondary um, conservative approach to ensure that the model is done correctly. And if there was to be a problem outside of that East Bend area, the company would be required to to mitigate that. So, if you needed to hook up other 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 uh, residences to Hennedy Water Supply, Rise would be required under the general plan and under the IR conditions of approval to um, provide that water service at uh, at the cost of Rise Gold Rise Grass Valley.
0: Mr. Mossman, I do appreciate your time. Before I let you go, I was hoping you could give me the pitch. How is this project going to benefit our community? Why should people that are on the fence support the project?
1: Yeah, so I mean, the the, the biggest you know biggest reason why people support the project is the creation of uh, a lot of high-paying jobs. And so, you have know, 312 um, employees, they are uh, at an average wage of 94,000 per year. Um, which is more than double the local average. Um, there is a uh, very good benefits. So the average with benefits that include your you know, medical dental plans is 122 thousand per year. So so very high high paid jobs. Um, despite you know what people uh, may think about um, mining, mining has uh, made a lot of improvements in safety over the last the 20 years and so working in an underground metal mine in the United States uh right now is is has the same safety um as working in residential, residential construction so they're very safe jobs uh, working on surface is is about the same uh risk as working in retail trade so you have uh so very well paid jobs they're safe jobs they're uh, a lot of people uh really enjoy the work um so you have you know, the, the uh, direct jobs of the company and then the, the activities of the local spending by the company as well as um, uh, spending by employees of the company. That's about $50 million of new local spending per year. And so the, that creates uh, another 300 indirect jobs. And so, so you're looking at about 600 uh, new local jobs created. Um, there would be significant uh, benefits to the county uh, revenue as well through, through additional property taxes. Um, There's some commitments being made to assist the local uh, fire district with, uh, with new equipment and new um, personnel, which, which is going to help out, you know, the entire district and not only our, our property. So there's some significant um, community benefits from the project. And then, uh, you know, As we're going through this process, we've still got a ways to go to get through the Environmental Impact Report, but as it is right now, that report um, says what we've said all along, that there is um, no significant impacts after mitigation to all the major areas, uh, including water quality, air quality, um, human health, um, uh, and only three uh, minor impacts. Um, were considered significant, unavoidable, and so those would would be the construction noise from the construction of that um, pipeline that we uh, discussed. Uh, the county determined the aesthetics it would be significant, unavoidable. So just the, the fact of having new buildings on the existing industrial site would be changing the character of that site, which they consider significant, unavoidable. And then the third was one intersection at uh, at Brunswick Road and Highway 174, where that intersection is already uh, at unacceptable uh, LOS, so it's a busy intersection already. The addition of any traffic to that would be considered significant, and because it's not currently in a traffic improvement program, it's uh, considered significant and unavoidable. So those are, those are the three uh, impacts that the county determined. Um, so, so there's very little downside, a lot of uh, important benefits, and so that, that's why people do support uh, the project. And, um, and so, uh, you know, some people look at it as well as just being part of the, uh, you know, the history of the area, but I think most people, you know, consider that the economic benefits are important and, and also needed in this area.
0: I've been speaking with Ben Mossman. He's the CEO of Rise Gold Corporation. Mr. Mossman, thank you very much for your time today.
1: All right, thanks a lot.